with the book of James is very sad. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed our time here. But we have maybe, maybe two or three more sermons to go in James. So once again, I want to remind you, one of the reasons why we did the book of James is because it is perhaps the most realistic, most practical book of the, of the Bible. The book of James deals with our reality and the everyday struggles in our reality. It deals with our daily trials. It deals with the way we speak. It deals with the way we love. It deals with worldliness. It deals with godliness. It deals with every aspect of life. The passage that we read deals with suffering. James says, be patient, brothers. He is, he is encouraging instructing his brothers in the church to be patient. The word patience means long-suffering. It says the first quality of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is love is patient, which means the first quality of love is love is long-suffering. Love is enduring the long-suffering caused by the people that you're supposed to love. And if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, right? That it takes long suffering. Love involves long suffering. James, therefore, says, be patient in your suffering. What he's saying here is, what is implied here is, the world that we're living in involves much suffering. In fact, if you don't mind me saying this, suffering is an inevitable part of our reality in this world, in this life. People are supposed to disappoint us, which I've said a couple of months ago. People are supposed to disappoint you. They are. People are supposed to not meet your expectations. The reality of sin is that people are not supposed to meet your expectations. And, and, and the reality of sin is that people are supposed to cause you suffering. I'm sorry, but I'm keeping it real here because James is keeping it real. And this life, this short life that we, we live in this world, is supposed to be filled with suffering. Even if you are a Christian, or especially because you're a Christian, this life will not be, will, is not easy for us. And this truth rings very true to me because the people that I love the most in my life, besides y'all, the people that I love so much in my life are going through a lot of suffering in recent times. My little brother is suffering. My parents are suffering. People that I consider my dear sisters, they're suffering. People who are, who are family and who are like family to me are suffering. So I go to them I t and I tell them about God. Because telling them about God is the only really way of relieving their suffering. But, but they're still suffering. We are suffering because of the corrupt systems of man, corrupt political systems of man. They are suffering because of this evil sin that people have 
and they show that sin to the beloved, to their beloved one. They are, we are, they are suffering because their parents are going through like medical conditions. All the people that are closest to me are Christians. And they're super well-educated and they're super wealthy. But their wealth and their education does not absolve, does not exempt from their suffering. They're suffering. Suffering is not a stranger to us. It is the reality of living in this world. Man, I should be starting something with more encouraging. But the reason I'm being somber is that's the stage in which James writes, this, writes, writes, writes these verses. How do people react when they suffer? A lot of people react when they suffer. They question the goodness of God. When they suffer, even though they think, they kind of know in their minds suffering is an inevitable part of life, when they suffer, they question the goodness of God. How do I know? There's a lot of Christians who are deconstructing. That's a trend right now. Deconstructing Christianity, which means people who were once Christians, just like y'all, the trend is now they're leaving the faith. They're not, one word to say is apostasy, but on politically correct term is they're deconstructing from their faith. People who were once Christians are leaving the faith. Number one reason, top two reasons why people are leaving, number one, suffering. They suffered. All their lives they were told that God loves them. But when they actually suffer, they question the very love of God that they were raised with. If God is loving how are they, but why are they suffering, they say. They tie the love of God to their suffering, and it doesn't, it doesn't match. Number one reason why people leave, suffering. Number two, LGBTQ issue. The church is so condemning about LGBTQ people. They're so intolerant, therefore I'm leaving. Whatever, right? But the suffering part, they cannot fathom the kindness of their God and their suffering that they're going through. I read, I, I, like, you know, I follow an atheist on YouTube, and this atheist was mocking the goodness of God because of COVID. The atheist is saying, you Christians believe in a good and, good and loving God. How can you believe in a good and loving God who causes COVID he laughs at us. How do, you, how do you reconcile the goodness of God and the suffering of this world? The way you reconcile is you need to look at this world for what it is. This world, as glorious as it is, look at the beautiful snow outside. As glorious as this world is, this world is a sick, broken place that needs restoration and healing. As long as we live in this broken, sick world, we will suffer. People have a problem with God and suffering in this life because they don't view this world as fallen. They somehow believe that the, uh, people who question the love of God and when they're suffering, 
think that this world is all they have. And if this world is all they have, then God better make their lives better in this life. Otherwise, he's not loving. You get me? If this world is all they have, then a loving God better make their life good in this world. Otherwise, he's not loving. People have a problem with suffering in God because their view of this world, they think this world is eternal. It's not. This world, from the Christian perspective, is a broken, sick world, but, who will event, but this world will eventually be healed and transformed by the Lord. When? When he returns. Listen to me carefully. This world that you're living in, that we're obsessed about, is not the permanent state of things. This world full of death and suffering and diseases and poverty and racism and all these things, it is not the final version of the world. This world, this sick world is passing. A new world is being born. And that world will become fully realized when Christ returns. How do you deal with suffering in this world? James tells you the way you deal with suffering in this world is have a clear view of the Lord's second coming. How do you have patience in suffering? See beyond the corners of this world and have a clearer view of the world to come. Number one problem with Christianity, there's a lot of number one problem with Christianity in my mind, but one of the biggest problems with Christianity is this. Christians, number one, I think, is biblical literacy. People just don't know the Bible, right? That's the number one problem. And the problem with not knowing the Bible is this. People, if you don't know the Bible, people have a very hazy idea of the life to come. We, we, just, we think that, you know, yeah, okay, yeah, I die and I go to heaven, and that's it. They don't know... They don't have a certainty of the life that is to come after this world. You think you just, you know, you may, you may go to heaven and you may be with your, you know, dead dog one day. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a very unclear reality of the life to come. Because the world after this one is hazy at best, is unclear at best, all we see are the things of this world. James is saying is the opposite. The way you have a clear perspective of this life is to have a clear perspective of the world to come. How certain are you about the world to come? Do you just have a hazy idea of you might, after you die, you may go to heaven and that's it? Or do you know what is waiting for you? James is saying the only way that you will endure suffering, in fact, the only way that you will have a proper perspective of your money is to have a clear, crystal clear understanding of your eternal destiny. comprende? Verse 7. Verse 7. What does James say? Be patient, therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. Once again, James is saying... Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
he is telling his brothers to be patient. What is their suffering? What is the suffering that they're going through that requires them to be patient? We can presume a lot of things. One presumption is the Christians that James is writing to are suffering much because of their Christian confession. Once again, the Christian, the church that James is writing to were formerly Jews. Jewish Christians who profess, who, who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Jewish religion, the Jewish people are people defined by their religion, defined by their Torah, defined by their Abrahamic religion. If you are following Jesus Christ, you are following a cult. It is not only a cult that we think Scientology is, but following Jesus Christ means you are following a, a cult that blasphemes the name of the true God. So these Christians were suffering because their community, their family, is disowning them, has disowned them. And when a community disowns them, it impacts their financial well-being, right? Look, think of, think of like, we're, we're, most of us are Korean here, presumably. And Koreatown is Annandale and Centerville. Let's say there's a Korean restaurant in Annandale, in Annandale that knows that that person is a betrayer of Koreans. Let's say I own a chicken place, and it, my reputation is I am a betrayer of the Korean people. Would other Koreans in Annandale visit my chicken shop, no matter how good my chicken is? No. Tongjin won't, right? They won't. It's like that. Because of their professed faith in Jesus Christ, they're suffering socially, economically. They're also being, they're also suffering because of the pagan, because, because the religious leaders of the Jewish community is persecuting these Christians. Do you know how James, the writer of this epistle, do you know how he died? There are two theories. First theory is, under the direction of the Jewish leaders, James got dragged out outside of the city, and he was stoned to death. People threw stones at him until he died. The second hypothesis of how he died, under the, under the direction of the Jewish leaders, the, the, the Jewish, Jewish soldiers took James up to the highest temple in, in Israel, in Judea, and they threw him off that temple. James died because he was persecuted for the faith in the hands, by the hands of the Jewish leaders. The Jewish ruling authority, that is how they treated the Christians. So they're suffering that way. But they're also suffering because the rich Gentiles, or the rich, or the rich people, the rich Gentiles, in the like, you know, in in the in the surround in the surrounding town, the rich people, the employers of these Jewish Christians, they were abusing them. It is presumed, you know, how James is condemning the rich people in verses five through six last last week. He is writing the rich people that James is condemning. Are the, are the Jewish or Gentile rich people 
who were oppressing Christians by not paying their wages. These Christians work hard at businesses, but rather their bosses, rather than paying them fair wages, they are taking their money away so that, the, so that they can live in a more luxurious lifestyle. And when the Jewish Christians try to take them to court, these rich people bribe the lawyers and judges so that, the, 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 so that their cases will be dismissed. These Christians were not only ostracized by their community, but they were taken advantage of by the larger economic forces. Imagine you're in their shoes. Everyone around you either hates you or abuses you. And what makes it horrible is there is no sight of getting better. There is no hope for these Christians that it's going to get better for them. Imagine an African-American slave living in the 1700s in America, years, decades before the Civil War. They're living a life of slavery, and there is no hope for them. There is no social political party that, is, that represents them. There is none of it. In this world, this is how they're going to live. They're going to live and die by being ostracized and being taken advantage of. That's the reality of these Christians. You feel their plight? There is no hope for them. There is no Joe Biden for them. There is, no con there is no congressional representative fighting for them. There is no CNN or Fox News fighting for them. They're going to live and die as people who are forgotten, used, and thrown away. James is saying, this is your situation. But be patient. Why? Because your suffering will end. When will it end? When the Lord comes back. You may think your suffering will last forever, but it won't, guys, he says. The Lord's return is at hand. In order for you to be patient, have a clear view of that day. Look, when you run marathons, I never ran a marathon, and I never planned to run a marathon. But being a marathon runner, I would imagine, is very hard. It's hard because you got to endure the pain for long distances. It's not Usain Bolt, who have to endure the pain for 10 seconds. What is it, nine seconds? How fast does he run? Nine seconds? Usain Bolt, nine seconds, you're done. Marathon runners, you have to endure the pain for two hours. But the, but the only way that the marathon runner can endure that race is to know that after 26 miles, there is an end, there's an end to their suffering. 
If you tell them run like that forever, they can, they're not going to do it. Because they know there's an end date, there's an ending, they can endure the suffering. Right? Personal example is I went to the Korean army when I was 26, two years and two months in the Korean army. The only way that I endured the Korean army for two years and two months, because I know, because I knew, after two years and two months, I will be, I'll be set free. Korean army is like a prison in my mind. After two years and two months, I will be set free. The guy who joined me at the base, that, the, the two of us were sent to a particular base. The guy that, I, that was sent to the base with me tried to commit suicide. He jumped off a four-story building because he couldn't endure the suffering. For me, by the grace of God, I knew it was going to end. For him, he thought it will never end. Likewise, James is saying, Christian, endure suffering because there is an ultimate end to your suffering. It is when the Lord's return. For us, in order to have a clearer view, in order to, for us to Endure suffering. Therefore, we need to have a clear view of what is coming to us at the day of the Lord. That we will spend our remaining time here. Maybe it has, it has to be a two-parter, right? But we will spend the remaining, day, remaining time here focusing on what will happen at the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this. Jesus Christ died for us. He was resurrected. He ascended into heaven. After his death, resurrection, ascension, the world right now is a place of grace and salvation. The reason Jesus ascended and the reason why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit and the reason why Jesus Christ built the church is that through the Holy Spirit and the church, God will show his mercy and grace and salvation to, to, to the people of the world. Right now is a harvest time. God is gathering for himself a people. Okay? But the harvest time will end. The day of salvation and grace will end. That, that will end when Jesus Christ returns. If you are certain that Christ, God has sent Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, then, and if you're certain that he was raised again from the dead, then you need to be certain that he's coming back. When he comes back, all the fallen creation and humanity will be restored. Game, like John the Baptist, I was doing my quiet time on John the Baptist this week. John the Baptist, before he was, even before he was born, the reason why, he, John the Baptist was, was, was conceived miraculously. Not like Jesus, but John the Baptist's parents couldn't conceive a child. But God intervened so that Elizabeth, his mother, could, could miraculously conceive John the Baptist. Why was John the Baptist born? Why was John the Baptist miraculously conceived? 
It is because God has created John the Baptist to be the, 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 the what's, what's it called? The herald, the person who announces the world of the arrival of Jesus Christ. So the very purpose of John the Baptist is to tell the world that Jesus Christ is coming. He spent his lifetime, entire life, out in the wilderness, like wearing animal skin and eating honey and telling Israel to repent, to prepare the way of the Messiah. He spent his entire life free from business and money and everything solely on announcing to the world of the coming of the Messiah. It was miraculously conceived for that purpose. He spent his adult life, that purpose, announcing the arrival of the Messiah. When he saw Jesus Christ come before him, he says to, the, he says to everyone around him, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist worshipped Jesus when he saw him. So far, so good. But then, like all prophets of the Old Testament, like all prophets of Israel, John the Baptist was imprisoned by King Herod. Why? Because John the Baptist called Herod out for marrying his dead brother's wife. Right? So John the Baptist was you know, confronting Herod of his immoral act. John the Baptist was sitting in jail. John the Baptist knew prophets were supposed to be sent to jail, and he knew all that. But in the prison cell, in the dungeon, he starts to start to have doubt about Jesus Christ. When he's suffering in the dungeon, he starts to have doubts about Jesus Christ. So he sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him this question. Are you the promised one? Or do we, or do we have to wait for someone else? Are you who you say you are? Or do we have to wait for someone else? Once again, suffering is causing John the Baptist to doubt about who Jesus is. John, Jesus tells his disciples to tell John, tell John this. He says, this is what I'm doing. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. What? John's saying, are you the one to come or do you have to wait for someone else? Jesus is saying, tell John the lame walk, the blind receive their sight, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. When John heard that that's what Jesus is doing, he realized Jesus is the Messiah. Why? What what is the thing about what Jesus said to John assured John that Jesus is who he said he was? It is because in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah testifies to the one about the Messiah who will come into the world, and who will restore the created order of things. And the evidence that Jesus is the one who comes to heal the created order of things is the fact that he's performing miracles. He's healing blind. He's healing the deaf. He's cleansing lepers. The dead are raised. All of it are evidence that Jesus Christ is healing the fallen creation. You get me? Jesus' miracles, unlike my Pentecostal friends, right, 
The miracles of Jesus is testifying, is signifying, is pre-previewing the ultimate create, the ultimate healing that Jesus will bring in creation. I had lunch with June a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about doctor thing, right? And I told June, June this. He's our guy, our guy in medical school. And June agrees. I said, June, you're going to be a doctor and fantastic, and you're going to heal people. But the people that you heal will die when, eventually. June says, yeah, that's true. June can be the best doctor in the world, and he could heal so many people, but the people that he heal will invariably die. The only way those people will truly live again is when Christ comes back and restores the fallen, created order. We believe in a day that this fallen world, full of its racism, full of its hatred, full of its sectarianism, full of its conflicts, full of its wars, full of death and diseases, we believe that one day this, all those things will go away and our Lord King will make this world healthy and complete. Unbelievers think that after we die, this world is coming to an end. We don't believe that. We believe that this world will be healed of all this diseases, of all this sickness, of all this lunacy. We believe in the completion of the world, and this world will be completed when the king returns. The healing of the world, it is not an uncertainty or a possibility for the Christian. It is a fact. It will be healed when Christ returns. On the day of his return, the world will be healed. That's why in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. The order of things of this life. Things that causes your life and mine much suffering in this time and space. These things will go away. The king comes back. We need to have a clear hope to that day. You understand? When the king returns, we will all see Jesus as he who really is. When Christ comes back, he's going to restore the fallen creative order of things. When he comes back, the whole world will see him as who he is. So are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. I'm sorry, Revelations chapter 1, verse 7. Ready, Joe? Oh, Joe, you're great. I love you. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so, that, so, so, so shall it be. Amen. 
the people who doubted him, the people who killed him, the people who denied him, the people who laughed at him, the people who called him crazy, all of it, no matter what your opinion of him, it doesn't matter because when he returns, everyone and everything will see him clearly as who he is. But the king that you follow, the king that you think is invisible, you will see him materialize before your eyes. And there is no doubt in the world that he is the Lord of all. There are many people who make fun of him. There are many people who deny him. There are many people who try to use him. Their doubts will disappear because he will be clearly seen. I talked to one atheist, he says, I will only believe in Jesus when I see him. Guess what? One day, that day will come, you when that guy will see Jesus clearly. But when Jesus is revealed, when Jesus is clearly seen, for some, it will be a source of great comfort, and to others, it will be a source of much terror. Because when Jesus Christ is clearly revealed, everything else will be clearly revealed as well. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verse 5. Hit it, Joe. Joe, I love you. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, that each one will receive his commendation from God. When Christ comes, when everyone sees him clearly, we will not only see him clearly. 1 Corinthians 4 is saying, we will see ourselves clearly. I was telling my small group on Friday this. I'm a public person. You only see the public side of me. You don't know what I do at 2 o'clock in the morning. You don't know when I, like, what I do when I'm alone in my house. You don't know the intent of my heart. You don't know my thought processes. But God's grace and mercy, it is, it is hidden from you. And my sins are certainly hidden from me. Because if I truly see my sins clearly, I don't know whether I could live. When Christ returns, all of who you are and all of who I am will be clearly seen. Unbelievers think after we die, what, how we live in this world will be forgotten. We live and all our records will be just forgotten. We'll just be a distant memory. That's not true. It's the opposite. How you have lived will not be forgotten. How you have lived, how I have lived, will be clear as the noonday sun. Think about Tiger Woods as I was preparing for the sermon. Like 10 years ago, was it? Tiger Woods, when he had this whole scandal, he had a press conference. And all his like, like infidelities and women issues was exposed to the world. At a press conference, the whole world saw 
what kind of issues the Tiger Woods had. I think that's a preview of the destiny that awaits all of us. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 saying, nothing will be hidden. How you used your money, how you spent your time, what you lived for, how you loved, how you hated, nothing will be hidden. Everything will be clear. Everything will be exposed. He will be exposed, and you will be exposed. There's only two responses. When everything around you, when everything about you is exposed, when you see him, if you are a Christian, even though you see yourself clearly, You will praise God for loving and forgiving a person like yourself. I think for me, by the grace of God, God is constantly revealing my sins and my darkness. God is, clear, God is always revealing to me what he saved me from. And I'm just... I don't understand why he would forgive me. He does. And I'm certain when I see Christ clearly, even though I know my sins, I will know that the perfect one forgave me. Because he forgave me and died for me, I belong to him. I'm not going to run away from him, I think. I'm going to praise him for loving me. Because I know in this world that he died for me and he forgave me, when, he see, when I see him clearly, I will praise him even more for loving me and forgiving me and dying for me. Because I know it in this life. But if you don't know the forgiveness of Christ in this life, when his beauty is exposed, and when his beauty exposes your darkness, if you don't know him in this life, you are not going to run to him. You're going to run away from him. That's the nature of beauty. When beauty is revealed, ugliness shrinks away. When you look at Jesus as dealing with the devil, demons shriek and disappear when Jesus just appears before them, they just, when they freak out and they want to disappear. Why? Because Jesus is the light. When the light goes before darkness, the darkness wants to hide and flee. If you don't know him right now, if you don't know the gravity of your sins, and yet he forgave you regardless of the gravity of your sin, and if you can praise him and give thanks to him now because of that work, if that merciful work of Jesus Christ is, is foreign and strange to you, when you finally see him, I don't think you will want to be with him. I think you want to run away. I think you would rather be punished 
Because you think it will be right for us to be punished than to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Look, I told you the story, right? A couple of, like, like, I don't know, 15 years ago, I was pastoring at a church, right? Similar church to our size right now. Like a model walked in, a visited, a Korean model visited, right? And I saw how people reacted after the service. All the women ran away from her. All the Korean guys ran away from her. Because, you know, we Korean guys are awkward and not very good, right? Beauty, her beauty had a way of making the, the, the people feel ashamed about who they are. That's a shallow example of the day of the Lord. When he returns, you will either thank God for his beauty or you will run away from him. Do you know his forgiveness? Have the Holy Spirit filled your heart with his forgiveness towards your life? Are you aware of the destructive capabilities that you have? Yet despite your condition, Jesus Christ died for you and called you his. I know a lot of you was raised with such truth. But my dear friends, is this really true for you? If you don't know him that way, if you truly don't know him that way, forget all your church experiences, what you did for the church. Forget all that. At its bare bones, at the bare bones of your faith. Do you know him like that? Because all the service you did in his name will not matter when, he, when he's revealed. The only one who can run to him at the, when he's revealed is the one who knows him as a forgiver, as a savior of their souls. Do you know him that way? I promise her I'm going to end soon, so I will end soon. So we, it just has to be a two-parter. When he's revealed, he will judge all things in equity. He will judge the wicked, the righteous with equity. And I'm going to talk more about this next time. The wicked, he will judge. He's reminding the people that James, the James is reminding the people that he's writing to. The rich oppressors may oppress you now, and they may be living in luxury now. But wait. When Christ comes, all the wealth that they've amassed for themselves and all the luxury and self-indulgence that they lived for, all these things will bear evidence against them. And the money that they've squandered, the money that they have used to promote injustice, it will burn their flesh, James. On the day of the Lord, the wicked's flesh will be burnt with the money that they've used for injustice. 
Christians, James says. Wait for that day. I hope, and I will continue next time, that you will have a clear view of your eternal destiny. It is not merely heaven. It is that you're inheriting. It is the full created order of things. You know Christ as your Savior now. Don't, not about whatever you were taught in Sunday school, which is valuable, I suppose. Do you know him as a Savior? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Right? These things you must consider. We'll continue next time. Let's pray.